Hello and welcome to the Trinity Fit Over 40 podcast with me, Rob Burkhead. Today's episode is an interview with Bev Thorogood. Now Bev is an expert on all things menopause and is just about to release her first book, The Business of Menopause, A Guide for Working Women, which you can find on Amazon and all other major bookshops. In this episode, we discuss exactly what menopause is, as it's not often understood that well, when it starts to happen, and a hint here, it can start five to ten years before most people think, what the biggest misconceptions are about menopause, the key symptoms, there's 34, and how anyone can manage menopause both in and out of work to ensure it doesn't hold you back from the life you want to lead. It's a brilliant episode, it's one of my favourite ever recorded, so without further ado, let's get stuck in. Welcome to today's podcast. So, Bev, first of all, welcome to the podcast. It's fantastic to have you on. Thanks very much, Rob. It's good to be here. So, Bev's got a book coming out on Monday, so the 18th of October, if you're listening to this, uh, called The Business of Men of Boys, Guide for Working Women. Now, we're going to come on to that later, but first of all, Bev, I just want to get the basics out there because I think it's sort of not that well understood about menopause because that's what we're going to be talking about today. What, what actually is menopause? Like, what's the official definition? Okay, so yeah, I think we tend to think of menopause as a, a kind of period in time, but from a diagnostic point of view, it's just one day. It's one day in a woman's life, believe it or not. If only the symptoms were only one day. <clears throat> so it's actually the date, 12 consecutive period, three months from the date of a woman's last period. So she's not actually going to know if she's reached menopause or not until she looks back retrospectively and may or may not even notice that she's not had a period for 12 months. So obviously, if she's taken contraception or anything like that, she might that that might disguise her normal um, period. So diagnostically, it's just one day. So if you went to see a GP, they'd want to normally know, have you had a period in the last 12 months? And if you haven't, and it's not because of something stopping the periods, they'd generally consider you to have been through menopause. So it's just one day. Yeah, and that's the confusing thing, I think, for a lot of people is they're waiting for this thing that's menopause. I mean, I can only say from experience of working with people, obviously not my own experience, but there's a lot that can happen before that one day, right? And how, how so that's called perimenopause, right? Yes. They're running up to perimenopause. Uh, so what, what is perimenopause and how long can that last? Okay, how long's a bit of string? There's no definitives when it comes to menopause. There's so many variables. So uh, perimenopause, you're absolutely right. It's sort of the, the, the lead up to, or the, the you know, the, the preceding t- period leading up to that one day of menopause. It actually means around the time of, so peri just means around the time of menopause. So perimenopause starts basically when the ovaries start their decline towards no longer producing eggs. How long that is that before that one day of menopause is varies massively. So it can be anything from two to four years right up to sort of 10, 12 years before. And some women will find that they're still symptomatic for a few years post-menopause as well. Um, and perimenopause really is when, when we start to see a lot of the symptoms that we associate with menopause uh, creeping in. So we, you know, we tend to think about hot flushes, and night sweats and, and that, those sort of symptoms. Uh, but in actual fact, there are more than 34 symptoms that can creep in during perimenopause, which I'm sure we'll, we'll cover in a, in a moment or two. So 
just to kind of give you a bit of an indicator, if I can, about the sort of time scale. So generally speaking, that one day of menopause, that 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 it's a diagnostic one day happens anywhere normally between 45 and 55. So it, it's not uncommon to have a woman, say, 47, 48, who's reached menopause, but she could have started with her perimenopausal symptoms in her late 30s, early 40s, so much sooner than we probably realise um, or relate it to menopause. And that, yeah, that's one of the things I find is one of the biggest misconceptions from my understanding and then speaking to lots of the women we work with is people seem to think it's something that happens in their 50s, even just this first symptom starting in their 50s. And we'll come on to misconceptions in a second. But first of all, then, for someone who may or may not be, you know, perimenopausal, what what are the earliest signs to look out for? I think for many women, the first sign is a change in their menstrual cycle. So they'll normally see um, maybe they get a bit more irregular. Um, maybe their periods are, uh, the, the flow is different. So they might find that their periods get much heavier. Um, I must admit, I, I was a bit naive, I think, before I started to learn about this. I just assumed as you headed towards menopause, your periods would get lighter, lighter and lighter and disappear. But for many women, actually, it's a change and they see a, a heavier flow or they might find that they miss a couple of periods and then have a very heavy period. So it's a the early stages are often menstrual cycle related. But for very many women, it's more of the psychological symptoms that creep in. So they start to get a bit more anxious about things that maybe they've not been anxious about before. Stress levels, their ability to deal with stress can sometimes be impaired and, and um, brain fog. So memory issues and uh, cloudy thinking, not having that clarity of thought, forgetting simple words. I hear lots and lots of women in early sort of perimenopause who are convinced they've got early onset dementia because their brain function is just a little bit um, impaired. And, it, it, you know, it's it can be terrifying. But in reality, it's just fluctuations in our hormone levels uh, causing that that sort of um, brain, I suppose, cognitive dysfunction. Uh, temporarily although it doesn't always feel very temporary so I would say that the 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 first signs I would say were menstrual and also sort of brain fog I think often is the the first one but it's not always obvious that it's menopause related because if we think about women in that normal sort of age bracket let's say sort of 40 through to 55 ish there's often huge amounts of other stuff going on in their life they you know if they're working women often they're under a lot of pressure at work so they've got additional stresses they're possibly reaching more senior levels in their careers so they've got more responsibility and then of course you've potentially got other things like a lot of women are having their children later so they might have the stress of younger children or they might have the stress of older children leaving home going to university the financial stresses that that brings so it's a bit of a a tinderbox of all sorts of stuff hitting at the same time. So it's, you know, quite often the, the signs of menopause are missed as just being general stresses. So that's a very long-winded answer because it's not a nice, simple, this is what you'll see, if that uh, if that makes sense. Definitely. It's something we see a lot with people, members that we work with being confused about whether something perhaps is a, really you know a perimenopausal thing or whether it's because they're just overwhelmed at work you know there's so many different things going on I've had loads of 
clients who've been diagnosed antidepressants and I've tried to, you know, say maybe that's not the right thing, depending on where they're at. Well, is That's quite a common thing, isn't it? Doctors prescribing antidepressants for actually menopause. Yeah, it, it is. And and it's, it must be very difficult for GPs because they're given a very short amount of time to try and diagnose what is a very broad reaching um, condition. And it could, you know, the signs and symptoms of menopause are also signs and symptoms of other things, including clinical depression. Um, so really, you know, it, it, I think there's a, a case for women themselves trying to identify what's going on. And that's hard because we don't get educated about menopause. So we're not normally, I certainly in my early forties, when I think of my early perimenopause symptoms starting, menopause wasn't on my radar. I just knew I didn't feel right. And I was crying a lot of the time for no reason. So it's very hard to compartmentalize what's what, you know, and to kind of strip it, strip it back and go, well, this is, this is menopause and this is work stress and this is home stress. I, I think the, the big kind of theme running through all of this is if you are stressed, you are likely to have more severe menopause and perimenopausal symptoms anyway. So the, I guess the, the, the best form of treatment is to manage stress in the first instance and that's going to affect or, or uh, you know, positively impact all of those stresses, not just the perimenopausal symptoms. So managing stress, I would say, is probably one of the first things we should consider, regardless of the cause of the stress. Doing things like, you know, as exactly as you guys teach, really, the whole mindset piece, meditation and reframing stuff. So, it, it, you know, it, it, it takes on a bit of a more positive um, spin that will help with menopause symptoms and all the other stresses that that women are under and men too, to be fair. Let's not assume that women are the only people that get stressed, but we've got another another thing in the stress bucket to deal with, with perimenopause. Yeah, definitely. And the um, the stress piece, as you, as you mentioned, there's all the proactive things you can do. So I will be doing the program and you want to make sure you exercise and your nutrition isn't overstressing the body, which is, again, we're not going to go into in too much depth at the moment, but it's, it's, it's all, it's always beneficial to improve stress, isn't it? Or to, to improve proactively manage your stress rather than hit rock bottom and then try and sort it out. Yeah. Well, for me, it's the key to all of those are the things that you've talked about. So um, I, I use a framework called NEST, which is about nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress, and then thoughts and feelings, which is mindset, but NESM doesn't make for a great acronym. So we've got thoughts and feelings as NEST. And I think all of those are important, but if your cortisol levels are high and you're stressed a lot of the time, then getting your nutrition right is going to be really, really hard because for a start from a weight perspective you know the majority of women about 70 percent of women find their weight changes as they hit perimenopause it's not inevitable but it does happen um, but if you're stressed you're not gonna you're not gonna make good food choices um, your body is going to be craving a lot of kind of energy giving foods if you're not sleeping well um, so that it all interlinks you know and you don't if you're very very stressed I know a lot of women find that exercise helps with stress 
but don't always realize that some exercises actually increase that stress. So there's, there's a huge amount that's, you know, just managing stress will make all of those other lifestyle habits, I guess, easier to, to incorporate. The hard bit is how do you, how do you get it all working correctly when you're in a, in a state of stress and you, and you can't is, is the answer. Yeah, we live in a very stressed society, don't we? It's like a badge of honour nowadays, saying I'm manic, I'm manic. Mm. We were just talking before yeah. we started recording about how you're preparing for your book launch, which is coming up really soon and you've got loads of stuff to do. Yeah. It's really yeah. difficult because we still want to achieve lots. And look, just because you may be going through perimenopause, menopause, most people don't want to stop working but I know for you didn't didn't you have to actually stop your I did yeah I ended up so leaving a, I, I worked for the MOD for the for the Royal Air Force actually for 32 years and, and in a management position and hit when I turned 50 and my menopause kicked in uh, it had started a lot earlier than that but I, I got my first hot flush when I turned 50 and that was for me in my kind of ignorance around the whole thing that was okay I'm having a hot flush I must be starting menopause not knowing that I'd probably been in perimenopause for probably six or seven years before that. Um, but what followed really was two years of, of real struggle. You know, the anxiety got worse. I wasn't managing my stress very well. I actually went the opposite way and I went full pelt into losing a lot of weight, <clears throat> excuse me, going mad on exercise. And actually that that feeling that I needed to do that was adding to all of my stress because it was like you know I, I've got I can't allow myself to get old I've got to stay fit and young and that's a, another layer of stress so after two years I just was really struggling I mean I, I you know I, I was forgetting things in work I was making uh, mistakes that I, I hadn't made before and I was crying a lot to my boss who was bless him he was a 27 year old man and I think he probably wondered what the hell had hit him with this, this middle-aged woman crying in his office most weeks saying what a waste of time she was and how she was failing in the job. And to be fair to him, he said, you know, I think it's a perception. I don't think you're, what we're seeing is you still doing your job well, but I was absolutely, you know, it was, it was either leave work uh, or go off on long-term sick and, and I didn't want that so yeah I ended up leaving and resigning and, and lots of women do it's estimate it's really hard to put a, a number on it but it's estimated that around about 20 to 25 percent of women have either resigned their career left their career or taken a lesser role because they were struggling and that's that's really sad and do you think now you obviously know a lot more you you know this has become your purpose and your passion do you think for some people that's inevitable? I think you gave a really interesting stat when you did a, a menopause session inside the Trinity community, which I still remember. I won't, I won't spoil it for everyone. There was like a certain percentage of people who had um, debilitating symptoms, a certain sort of, you know, proportion of people have manageable symptoms and a certain proportion of people who don't even have really any noticeable symptoms. What were what those numbers and what were the stats? Yeah, so about 25% of women will not have any noticeable symptoms or they they pro probably do have symptoms but maybe don't recognize them as menopausal but they're manageable they're not causing them any major disruption in their life and about 50 percent of women are in that sort of middle bracket where their symptoms are likely to be 
mild to moderate. They'll come and go over time. They, they may vary over time. You know, the, the, the range of symptoms might change. And then at the far end of the extreme, we've got 25% of women who, who really are going to be quite, um, their, their symptoms are quite debilitating and for many quite life-changing. So when I talk about life-changing, it could be relationship breakdowns, career breakdowns, and actually, you know, there's there's certainly seems to be a correlation between menopause and certainly perimenopause and the instance of women taking their own lives. So I think I think if I remember rightly, I haven't got the stats in front of me, but I think between 48 and 54, I think, is when women sort of women female suicides peak, which yeah. is interesting when we consider that, you know. 45 to 55 is that bracket for women reaching menopause. So there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. Um, and it can, those 25% at the far end, it can be really quite life-changing. I think that mental health side of things is really not that well understood from my, only from my experience. Anyway, I don't know if you agree working with lots of women mm-hmm. in that age bracket a lot of people don't realize why they're feeling really demotivated, really low. I always want to point them in the direction of you or other menopause resources to say, look, it could be this. I don't know for sure. I'm not a GP. Like what can people do about it if they, if they think maybe they are in that position? Um, I think first of all, look at what, what the stresses are. You know, if, um, if you're feeling very low and your mood is very low, it's interesting when I speak to women, Generally, they can tell, especially if they've had depression in the past, they can normally tell that it feels a bit different. They, they feel like they may have lost their joy for life. They've lost their motivation, but it, it feels different to um, sort of normal depression, if there's such a thing as normal depression, but they, they feel it's different. So I think in terms of what to do, definitely go and see a GP. But if you're, I would say if you're sort of 40 onwards, um don't rule out that it could just be the start of perimenopause and maybe I, th- I think it's really important to to track symptoms and and see if there's any themes or patterns come up so are there any particular triggers that lead to um that that those sort of emotional changes so i think if you can keep a, a journal for maybe a month to track when when the low moods happen or or when the rage happens or when the depressive bouts sort of kick in and take that with you to your GP so you can talk more broadly about what's going on rather than what often happens is we feel really low we make an appointment with the GP we go in we we cry we, we we're not very articulate because we, we're trying to deal with something that's very emotional and all the GP can see is somebody who's sort of very very upset and sad and I can I can understand why GPs potentially come to the wrong conclusion but also I think when you understand the whole range of um, menopausal symptoms 34 different symptoms you can then look and go well okay so I'm, I can feel myself being a bit low and depressed and I'm also able to tick this one off the list and this one and this one and then we start to see a more holistic um, sort of story, I guess, uh, forming around those symptoms. So yeah, keeping a, a diary is useful. Um, recognizing that there are other symptoms and seeing if you can sort of tick any of those off. And also I think finding a GP who is a menopause 
if not a menopause specialist, at least somebody who's got um, an interest or has done additional training in menopause. And uh, many doctors don't, unfortunately, but it's worth asking when you make the appointment who in the practice has um, done any sort of further training around menopause so that they're at least aware that there are other things other than just clinical depression that could be going on. Yeah, that's great advice, I think, because from what I've heard from members going to doctors, there's a massive range. Some really get it, they're really on board and maybe, you know, giving them great advice <laughs> on what they can do. Others just don't really, they're not interested. Maybe they, they're just, they've not had the time. Like you said, you only have 10 minutes or whatever it is in a GP appointment to figure it out or the, or the just a bit out of date. What, what can people do? Uh, what, so you said there's 34 symptoms, right? We're not, we can't go through all of them. Where can people find what all those symptoms are? Do you have them in the book? You know what? If you Google the 34 symptoms of menopause, you'll, you'll probably get about 140 because it depends who you read. Uh, there seems to be a different 34 depending on who you speak to. Um, so it, certainly in my book <laughs> without it being too blatant about the plug. But to be honest, you can go on to the internet. Dr. Louise Newson's got some great resources um, her balance app yeah. is, is, is phenomenal. It's a really great app. So there's loads of, of ways that you can find out um, what those symptoms are. Um, actually, I've got um, a, a vault full of free stuff. And in there, there's a symptom checklist that you can kind of go through and, and see uh, what symptoms you may or may not be experiencing. So the problem is the, the symptoms often come and go over time. So you might have a handful of the symptoms in January and then by March you've got another few and some of the others have disappeared so it, it's it was it's very hard I think to to actually diagnose but um go just very briefly going back to your your question earlier about you know depression that what we do know now quite clearly is that SSRI type antidepressants um things like Prozac um are less effective for what we call reproductive depression than they are than HRT. So hormone replacement therapy is more effective in treating menopausal low mood depression and anxiety than those um, sort of more common antidepressants. And they generally carry fewer side effects as well. But again, GPs are very quick a lot of the time to go straight down the SSRI route rather than considering HRT. So I would certainly suggest if somebody's struggling, they start with HRT. And if that's not effective, then because there may be other things going on and it may be um, clinical depression. And, and it's it's hard to, as I said earlier, it's it's quite hard to compartmentalize what it is. But certainly if you're I, I, without being too flippant about it, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. So if you're in that sort of recognized age bracket for, for perimenopause, and your symptoms are what you know one or more of those 34 symptoms then chances are it is perimenopause so possibly as well to start there and then expand if if the hrt doesn't help but um yeah we we do know that ssris aren't as effective they actually they're quite effective for treating hot flushes but not the psychological symptoms that's weird. interesting what else what so you you mentioned what can help with those things. I know there's lots of things that make these side effects worse. I do want to come back to HRT. We could probably do, we're well, easily oh, yeah. on that. So we'd probably do a whole podcast on that at some point. 
Um, but I know we'll cover the couple of the, the most common questions about that. Where was I going with this? Oh yeah, so what, what else? So some things make the symptoms better. There's a lot of things from my experience that make symptoms, menopause symptoms worse that people don't realize. Obviously we talked about stress, but what other things do you find really exacerbate the symptoms? Um, I think mindset is a big one. <laughs> I know this sounds a bit a, a bit strange, but if you're expecting your menopause to be miserable, it probably will be. Uh, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and I think society puts a lot of pressure on women to look and be a certain way. So there's a lot of pressure to, to stay young and, and the, the almost the sort of the, um, the image of older women as being a bit over the hill and, you know, menopausal women, middle-aged women having, you know, no real use in the world. So if we're carrying that belief system, that's going to make it a much harder transition to go through. Um, but on a practical level, you know, we, we, we so underestimate the, the benefit of a good night's sleep. So a lot of women are, you know, they're running on way, way, way too little sleep. And it's, it, it's a difficult one because if your body isn't sleeping well, telling somebody who's struggling to sleep that they need to get more sleep is, is you, you can expect to get a punch in the face, I think, from most men. I'm always careful women. about that. <laughs> But I think you've got to be able to give yourself at least the best opportunity to get yeah. a good night's sleep. And that's about things like making sure that your your bedtime and your wake up time are standardized across the whole week. So I, I think a lot of times men and women, I think, do this. We have our weekly routine if we're working, but then it all goes out the window at the weekends and the, the body likes routine and the body works well with routine. So having a good sort of clear bedtime and wake time and getting into that routine but also keeping the bedroom cool but not cold um having you know layers of of, of um bedding or, or cooling bedding clothing bed clothing that sort of wicks away the, the moisture so if you have a hot flush or a, a night sweat it doesn't necessarily wake you up the way it would if you were wearing ordinary uh, materials so you know, and, you know from a sports point of view you can get a lot of these materials that wick away the sweat when you're exercising that same sort of um, fabric is really good for for nightwear as well and and then thinking about backlight you know backlit devices in the bedroom so melatonin as I'm sure you know is the the hormone that sort of um, regulates our sleep and wake patterns and it's triggered by light and dark. So if we have lights on in the bedroom, maybe it's our phone flashing away or, you know, an alarm clock with an LED light or the, the standby light on a TV or anything like that can trick the brain into thinking that it's daylight and not nighttime. So that's going to affect sleep as well. Um, and I think we underestimate how important sleep is. And, and if we're sleeping well, brain fog is better we tend to eat better we tend to feel more energized so we want to exercise and all of those are the next elements are much easier to deal with and, and, and kind of feel that you want to actually have the energy to to eat well and, and exercise I think I might have gone off at a tangent there Rob did I sorry menopause symptoms worse I definitely find the same it can be a bit of a chicken and the egg thing sleep kind of because mm you know with 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 sleep and hormones like if you if your hormones are disrupted then sleeping can be really hard but as you said control what you can control from my experience as well um 
a lot of the women we work with are like your books about working you know women are working in kind of high pressure jobs they're often working they've got like an email inbox it's just constantly filling up beyond what they can do and they often then try and um, try and keep up with it by working late at night nine ten later you know trying to get through those emails when no one else is working so they can catch up for the next day yeah. that's obviously then making everything else worse which is really it's a really difficult cycle to get out of I think it is and I think as as women I'm not saying men don't do this uh, it's not an exclusive to women thing but I think for a lot of women for a start whether we like it or not for women to reach um, any kind of level in their career they've had to fight for it normally to, to find their space in the workplace um, a, a, a against their male colleagues. I think, I think we, it's fair to say that still hasn't really changed. Yeah. So you've got, um, you, you've, you've had that fight, if you like, that, that internal fight with yourself, or maybe, but you've had to kind of put your stake in the ground to get your career where you want it. And then menopause kicks in and things become a little bit harder. It doesn't mean by any means that women can't do their job. There's absolutely no evidence at all to show that um, menopause symptoms, even sort of brain fog type symptoms, impair somebody's intellect or intelligence. It just means that the working brain is having to work a lot harder to do the things that they used to take for granted. So you've got women often who have sort of fought their way to where they want to be in their career and suddenly things are feeling more challenging and taking more energy to stay on top of things but there's this fear I think of well if I open up about this am I going to risk damaging my career or you know being disadvantaged in some way being overlooked for promotions being overlooked for projects so they'll kind of work doubly hard to try and stay on top of things which of course is adding to the stress, adding to the pressure, taking them away from the ability to kind of give themselves some self-care time. I know that's a bit of an overused term, but it's so important that, that we have that self-care. So they're, they're kind of basically doing double the amount of work uh, to try and stay on top of things for fear a lot of the time that if they don't, they're going to be disadvantaged. Whether that's a, a true perception, you know, whether that's truth or just perception, who knows? It, the chances are they don't need to be working that hard. But when you've worked, you know, when you've worked all your life to build to a certain stage, it's very hard to then risk putting yourself in a position where that might be taken from you. So there's a huge amount of stress. And I guess without sounding too feminist about this, although I guess I am, you know, we've done a really good job in the last 50 years of helping women to be able to find the career that they want. Um, we've almost got what we asked for in that we've got more of a level playing field in the workplace. But what hasn't really come alongside that is a, um, a, a greater sort of separation of duties if you like in the home you know I, I, I'm I have to be careful when I say this because I'm very very lucky actually Mark does most of the housework and, and a lot of the cooking but in reality I think COVID's shown us that for a lot of women they not only are trying to hold down a full-time high pressure career but they are still the main carer the main homemaker so they, they've not lost a lot of what they did have they've kept that and got a whole load more um, and it's just, you know, it, it is incredibly stressful for a lot of women. Yeah, I've, I mean, I see the same thing all the time with most clients. There's still 
slightly that old school dynamic of like they are still doing all the you know most of the childcare if their children are still at home and most of the housework and organization around the home and stuff so it's yeah as you said there's a lot on people's plates and yeah. then you put menopause also yeah. into the mix yeah. and it's pretty difficult so I think it's really important for women to create and um uphold boundaries as well I think there's we, we've got a natural tendency as as women it's it's kind of inbuilt in many of us to to be all things to all people we want to be that kind of nurturing um problem solving person that everybody goes to when they've got when they've got an issue and that's great you know that's lovely wouldn't we all love to be able to do that but when we're doing that for everybody else and our own stuff our own goals even you know our own our own wants are being sidelined guess what it does that's another layer of stress on you so I think withholding understanding what boundaries are recognizing and and kind of clarifying your own boundaries and then sticking to them and that boundary could be you know I work eight till six but I'm not going to be answering emails at 10 o'clock I, I work with a lot of businesses and predominantly HR um, managers and HR business partners and invariably I'll get an email at 10 half past 10 at night um, from an HR manager and I think well I I know I'm still working this is my own business that's my prerogative I'm my own boss I can do what I want but these women are, are employed and they're still I very much doubt they're being paid to be working yeah. at 10 or 11 at night but that you know I'm, I'm getting emails from them and I, I sit and I think should I should I respond or if I respond am I actually exacerbating what they're already you know dealing with I, 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 I even see some past midnight and I'm like, I look at when people have checked in for their program, like, I know this person must be exhausted because they're checking in with me at 1.30 in the morning. And we get quite a lot of people sign up to have a conversation about joining our program at like one in the morning as well. And it's, I guess a lot of people can't sleep, I suppose, as well. But coming back to the workplace stuff then, like we talked about the challenges, like what, what do you suggest people can do about it in the workplace? So, I mean, I'm, I'm massively in favour of just talking about it. And I know that sounds really simple. It's really hard for a lot of women to do, especially if the conversation around menopause within the workplace is still a bit of a taboo, and it is in a lot of organisations. So, obviously, in the work that I do when I go into businesses, it's really about breaking down some of the stigma and getting people as a whole talking about it. Um, in terms of what you can do, I think make an appointment to speak to your, your boss. You know, you can't, your boss isn't a mind reader. They're not going to be able to help you if they don't know what's going on. So if we as women can't open up about and be honest about what's going on, we can't then expect to get the help. Now, I realize that that's not always going to be easy if you've got a boss who isn't particularly empathetic or, you know, a lot, a lot of managers are, are promoted into a management position but don't have great levels of empathy or, or emotional intelligence so yeah. we're talking ideals here but realistically put it asking for an appointment with your boss you know a, um, a private appointment so they actually put time aside probably at least half an hour if not an hour and and go in talk go in prepared so have much as you would if you know going to see your gp i talked about making a a checklist of all the things that are happening. I think if you can go in 
and speak to your boss with a list of kind of what's going on for you. You don't have to, I don't think you have to go into all of the, the fine details of, you know, every symptom that's going on, but certainly the ones that are impacting you on in work. So if it is a case of, you know, I'm dealing with brain fog, I really, really struggle with the, the kind of the fast pace. Is there any way we can slow things down a little bit? Maybe um, I can, we can delegate some of that workload to somebody else temporarily, or it could be, you know, maybe any chance I could, we could perhaps look at my working hours and see if I, you know, on the days when I've had a really rubbish night's sleep, which happens regularly, could I have a late start or could I have a work from home day? So go in with the outcome that you want and be prepared to kind of, I guess, negotiate for the best outcome because that, that it's what I guess we, we would call reasonable adjustments. You're going in asking for workplace adjustments to help make your life easier so you can continue to perform well in the job but they have to be kind of reasonable for the individual and the business so go in with an open mind but go in prepared to to ask for what you want and make them aware of what's going on so what are your four or five worst symptoms and and how are they impacting your ability to do your job and what would help Um, and I think if if you're prepared to almost go in with a solution you're more likely to get a, a more positive response. Um, I, I do realise that that is is potentially really hard to do. If go, you know, going back to what I said earlier, if you're worried that your job may be in some way um, affected, or you're you're you know you're um, you're going to be disadvantaged in some way, it, it's hard. But we've we've got. To, I think the change has to come from the women who are struggling. Um, in the first instance, um, to be able to to ask for the help, it's it's a big answer. It's a big question because if the if the culture within the organisation isn't open, it's going to be very hard to have those conversations. And what I would say is, we do have the protection of the law on our side. So you know, whilst menopause isn't actually a protected characteristic. Um, age, sex and disability are. So we do have an element of protection from discrimination and being disadvantaged if if we do open up about menopause and for whatever reason uh, we're discriminated against. But obviously we don't really want to be going down that route. There's there's lots that that can be done. So I guess to to summarise and and stop waffling, be prepared to ask for an appointment with uh, with your manager, I beg your pardon, be prepared go in with an outcome and I would also suggest if any reasonable adjustments are put in place you ask for a review no more than three months from from that date um, because your symptoms may come and go and what, what's put in place may not be relevant in three months time and it'll need reviewing. I think that's a fantastic idea you know, fantastic thing for people to do because I've had a member Jane who I work with who's done something very similar, actually, in the last couple of weeks, her company was all going back to work in the office full time. And she was being told under no circumstances, you know, you are doing what everyone else is doing. And she was saying that this is, this really isn't going to work well for me. Everyone's interrupting me. I've got these other things going on. I really could do with a couple of days to just be able to focus on my own stuff and be at home, have a bit more flexibility, you know, maybe be able to do some exercise and de-stress and not have to commute. And she she was first of all told no, and then she she booked the appointment, had the appointment, and um, she's now been. Was that with her manager? 
Yeah, with a manager. Yeah. She's now been given two days. They've written a whole new contract for her. She can do two days from home now, whereas everyone else isn't. Yeah. And she would never have got that. She didn't ask for it. And she was, again, worried to ask because, you know, there may be judgment of people. There's a fear of that, isn't there? And how it might have So fear is probably the thing that holds people back, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so a lot of what I do is about awareness training. And I, I train, um, a train sounds an awful word, doesn't it? I raise awareness through education. That's a, probably a nicer way to put it uh, for all employees, because I think it's important that men, as well as women and younger women, as well as as a midlife women, understand that the impact of menopause. And when we consider, I'm going to throw a few stats out here, uh, that women over 50 are the fastest growing sector of the workplace with nearly four and a half million women over 50 in work. You know, we're, we're taking up a big space in the workplace. So we've got a whole load of experience and knowledge and skill and talent and if we if we're not able to say, do you know what, for a, for a period of time, I need a little bit of extra support because I'm dealing with all these hormonal changes, then we're, we're potentially losing a huge amount of talent from the workplace that unnecessarily. So part of what I do in raising awareness is to break down some of the stigma so that women are able to ask without fear of judgment. And it works. You know, there's nothing complicated about this. We just talk about the things that are difficult to talk about. And the more we talk about them, they stop being so difficult. Um, it, it's, it's fairly straightforward. Um, but I think we have to be educated. And, and, you know, we think men don't know much about menopause. I assure you, women don't either, because we don't get any education on it. I was about to say, actually, I had my friends come. They, they've just moved to New York. My friend's like a high flyer in the insurance industry. He's doing amazingly well he's only early 30s and he's really high up you know managing loads of people and he was here with his um his wife who's a little bit younger late 20s I, I was just having a quick conversation about what I do and neither of them had ever heard of HRT didn't even know what it was barely knew what menopause I like, didn't really know what menopause was and I was like this is shocking you know first of all Jen is a female didn't have any idea about any of it which I guess you wouldn't and then Steve is um, in, in this really high management position, you know, managing quite a big team of people. A lot of them are older than him. And again, oh, no, I think we assume that people would, I assume, because I talk about this stuff a lot, that other people know that most people don't really, you know, we're not educated on it no, at any no. point of it. And I'm really guilty of this. You know, I, I when I think back to my 30s and I was uh, managing older, older women, middle-aged women, I was very flippant, really, you know, quite disparaging if I'm honest I'm ashamed to say because I I just assumed it was you know it's an older woman's thing you know mm. um typical older woman having a, a, a waft with her fan or a bit of cardboard or whatever um and now I think goodness me if I wish I'd been better educated because I'd have been far more compassionate um and it, I didn't you know, even in my 40s, I don't think I was, it was probably starting to dawn on me what it was all about. But yeah, it wasn't really till I was in my 50s that I made the the decision to go and find out for myself what it was all about. And even that, Rob, is, is hard. You know, I've visited Dr. Google to find out about menopause and it was just so confusing. It was contradictory. There was lots of really quite clinical stuff that I didn't understand and then there was all this sort of 
extreme stuff you know yeah if you if you're menopausal if you're going through perimenopause you can't eat carbohydrate you, know, right. you have to cut out carbohydrates or you you know you must be on a keto diet and you know you can't ever drink alcohol again and you mustn't touch caffeine and i'm like well hang on a minute i just surely i can still have a life um I just found there was so much information out there that was really difficult to understand. So actually getting good quality education, it should start young. And actually the menopause is now on the school curriculum as of September last year, it, the, the, there'd been quite a bit of work being done in the background to, uh, to raise the subject of, of menopause from an educational point of view. So it is on the school curriculum which is good because we, we kind of learn about the start of the process, but we don't know how it ends. So, you know, we, we learn about periods and we learn about pregnancy, but we don't learn about menopause. Well, as of September last year, school kids will. But what about all of the millions of women who have left school in that, you know, who are maybe just, just entering their twenties now, they not, they don't know about it. So part of, yeah, part of my role really going into work, the workplace is to help everybody understand what all this is about. So it's so it's not a mystery, you know. It's a it's a normal life event. It shouldn't be mysterious. It certainly shouldn't be a taboo. And obviously, you've written a book on this. I'm excited to get my copy. I ordered my copy this morning, as you yeah. know. Thank you. What can so it comes out on Monday, the 18th October. World yeah. Menopause Day. Yeah. That was oh, a coincidence. Yeah, That's that good. is World Menopause Day. Obviously not a coincidence. <laughs> no. <laughs> so it's called the, uh, the Business of Menopause, and it's a guide for working women. Yeah. So obviously it's for working women, but it's also for other people, right? Who, who, who could benefit from this? Anybody. Anybody and everybody. So men, younger women, everybody really. So what I've tried to do in the book is take all of the information that I've tried to figure out over the last five years, condense it into a simplified guide. So it's not a very big book. It's only 104 pages long. Um, and it's basically, it is a guide. It's a, it's a starting point to help people understand what they're going through and to cut through all of the noise that I found was really hard, as I've just said, when I was sort of Googling stuff. So it looks at um, basically what menopause is. So there's a, it's not a heavy bio biology lesson at all, but we do talk about what's going on with the hormones. We look at you know, when and why menopause happens. We talk a bit about those 34 symptoms. And then we look at the impact of those symptoms in, in different areas of life. Um, we also, it, it also talks about the sort of treatment options. So I look at it from a medical a non-medical and a lifestyle um, point of view. So we talk about HRT, the different types, the risks, the benefits, debunk a few myths around HRT, but then I also look at things like uh, sort of alternative and complementary therapies that can also help. And then we look at lifestyle based around NEST, so that nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress, thoughts and feelings. And then it, we talk about a little bit about how you can get the best out of a trip to your GP so that you get the outcome that you want and also how you can get the best outcome from a conversation with your manager. So it's, it's a very practical, pragmatic guide. Uh, it's not, it's not a heavy sort of clinical menopause um, textbook. It is something that the idea I, I wanted from it is that somebody could have it in their desk 
um, and, and flick through and, and get what they need at the time that they need it. And again, as I say, because the, the, the whole perimenopause process changes over time, you, the message that you need to hear sometimes is different as you go through. So the idea, um, I don't know, it's just going to be on video because I've got a little copy of it here. Yeah, yeah, we'll put a video so, out as well. So um, that's the book. As I say, it's not very big, but it, it just does give sort of tips about um, a lot of what you teach, actually, to be uh, to be fair, Rob. But, you know, you, I, you and I have very similar philosophies around, you know, good health and well-being, especially from a sort of nutrition and exercise point of view. So there's tips and, and stuff in there about, you know, eating healthily, best forms of exercise, um, sleep tips, you know, everything that we've spoken about, really, just in a, in a condensed form. And hopefully it's an easy read. I've been the feedback I've had so far is that it's it's an easy to read book with lots of you know helpful tips and and, and advice. It sounds like a must have. Well, basically for anyone, but definitely if you're you know busy working woman, you, you know, you've got to have it. I think because it's as you said, it, everyone goes through menopause at some point, and so you're going to face it, or you may be already in the midst of it. So it sounds like exactly what people need and we need to be talking about this more so where can people get the book then where's the best place to go uh, i suppose amazon is probably the easiest place to find it it's on ebook and on um, print copy and although it's not actually out until uh, monday the, the kindle version the e-version is now till monday but here you go i'm a menopausal woman and i pushed the wrong button on amazon so you can't actually get it from amazon now um, even though it's not actually live but it's also in you know you can order it through waterstones or any of the other major bookstores so um I'm, uh, you can get it from my website but i'm just about to take down the pre-order page so it's probably easier and cheaper really to go to amazon mm-hmm. Awesome. I'll, I'll put a link. We'll, we'll discuss what's the best link. I'll put a link in the um, in the notes for this episode. So, guys, go and grab Bev's book. I think it, it's something everyone needs to read. And we'll do another episode, Bev, because I want to talk about HRT. You know, we've got loads of other stuff to talk about as well. Um, so, for, just want to say thank you so much for joining us again. It's been fascinating, very very useful. I think for working women to hear this kind of stuff, and for anyone else as well. Um, and then, yeah, we'll do another episode in the future where we can talk about more in-depth aspects of menopause, if that sounds good. Yeah, thank you very much. And of course, I get to chat to the ladies in your in your uh, Trinity Fit Over 40 group anyway. Yeah. So we do that every month, don't we, which is which is great. I get to chat about chat about menopause to your, the ladies in your group as well. So Yeah, that's a very good point. So both kind enough to do a Q&A every month as well for our, our, our uh, members. We've got a Facebook group. Um, of our own where you do lots of amazing free content and it as well so we'll make sure all of those links are kind of dropped into the show notes so people can find all of that info so thank you for listening to today's episode of the trinity podcast if you've enjoyed today's episode don't forget to hit that subscribe button inside your podcast app so you don't miss future shows and also please leave us a quick review it only takes two minutes we do all of these shows completely for free to help you so we'd really appreciate a quick review if it's helped you at all So thank you again so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for the next episode of the Trinity Podcast.